Warning! This episode contains foul language, descriptions of murder, and discussions of suicide. podcast for all things strange, unusual, paranormal, supernatural, creepy, sticky, gross, scary, and everything in between. Each week we get to sit down and chat about something weird. This week we are hitting the runway as we dive into the world of fashion. It's not all seams and folds. We're talking true crime, the paranormal, the supernatural, how horror has influenced the industry, and the all-time weirdest fashion trends in history. The fashion world is full of strangeness and populated with weirdos. As Coco Chanel once said, in order to be irreplaceable, one must always be different. So put on your little black dress and get ready to smize. My name is Ashley and this is my co-host Lauren. Hi, weirdos. (laughs) And today we have a very, very special surprise for you. Yes. Joining us for this episode is one of our dearest friends and one of your all-time favorite guests, Mr. Tyler Schulke. Woo! Hey, weirdos. Hey, guys. What an entrance. It's a party. What a, what a title. We I love finally that. have a guest. We I'm so guest. happy. Yes. Tyler is in the building, metaphorically. Sort of. He's in his home. <laughs> metaphorically, I think he, yeah. We're all in our own buildings, but we're chatting. It's great. I have quite the setup. I love it. Yeah. So first of all, Tyler, we miss you very much. Yes. I miss you too. I want to hug you both. I know. I hate Um, this world. This uh, this is obviously, guys, our second guest of the season, really. I mean, Joey's technically kind of like a, th- a host, uh, like half I was going to say, host. he's kind of a part of the host <laughs> he team lives already. With me, so he doesn't Yeah, count. I'm handsome Joe. Yeah, so um, Carl Tart, who Tyler, you know as well, he was our oh, I love Carl. first I love guest Carl. of the season. And oops, only guest of the season because then, then we, we all shut down. <laughs> went into quarantine. Uh, so, so you guys know Tyler. He was a... In all of our cult episodes to date. Yes. Mm-hmm. And today we wanted to mix it up. We've talked cults with you so many times, and now we're going to talk about the wonderful world of fashion. Fashion. Oh, fashion, yes. baby. I know that we have a lot mm. to get Work to. But how has the year of our Lord 2020 been treating you personally? Oh. <laughs> uh. Oh boy. Well, that's no, I a mean, I mean, I have to say, um, I mean, obviously it's been a hard one for a mm-hmm. lot of people. Um, there's been a lot of um emotional and a lot of distress. mental and a lot of yeah. physical distress going around. Um, I have to say though, like I was very fortunate um early on I was able to secure a job that was able uh, editing where I was able to not necessarily have to go in somewhere they could send me everything and so I was able to really like kind of keep a foot and kind of be like okay I, I can keep up with this but at the same time it, it, I I don't know like it, it, when you're mentally like so out of it yeah it's hard to be you know creative and yep. and 
Absolutely. But uh, I've I've been, you know, I've been trying. I think like you guys, you know, we just try every day and, and, you know, some days are worse than others and some days are actually okay. And you're like, okay, we're going to get through this. And other days you're like, when is this over? Yeah. <laughs> Ripping my hair out. I can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So yeah, that's pretty much what I uh, figured. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds I've about been trying right. over here, making a bunch of content, throwing it online. I know. I've stuff. been watching your Christ kids. Oh, the, it's so uh, yeah. The other funny. Christ the other kids. Christ kids on Instagram. <laughs> we'll have to share that on our, our keep it weird page because I think yes. our listeners will really like it. It's very funny. It is. Oh my gosh! Thank you so much. I had so much fun doing it, and it yeah, it was so much fun. No, you guys are so creative and hilarious. So everybody needs to check out the other Christ kids on Instagram. We'll share it for you, but follow Tyler and check it. Yeah, Tyler, what's yeah. your um, Instagram handle? Just so we can. My handle is now. at T Shulke. So just T and my last name S C H U E L K E. Perfect. And I work a lot with um, I work a lot with Jordan Van Cleef too. Her and I like uh, do a lot of writing and uh, improv and just a bunch of stuff that we throw up there. So that's nice. one of our our little children, the other Christ kids. Yes. <laughs> so so fun. this week we're kind of going to be following a hometown haunt structure. Tyler's going to be bringing in the paranormal and the horror and the avant garde. Lauren, the true crime queen, will be coming at us with murders. And since there are no cryptids in the fashion world yet, <laughs> I'm going to be covering <laughs> a little history and some zany stories and rumors here and there. Love it. I did actually. I was like, I wonder if there's any cryptid. There's nothing. I looked <laughs> and there's nothing. So so um, I'm actually going to start since I mm. am doing history. So fashion started when humans began wearing clothes because no matter what level of style quote-unquote style you have fashion is simply the purpose and intention behind garments and shoes and accessories it's just the reason for it mm -hmm. as far as we can tell people began wearing clothes somewhere between a hundred thousand and five hundred thousand years ago and obviously then clothes were made from plants and animal skin, but they immediately started symbolizing things like tribe and social status. So different groups or tribes would wear distinguishable designs. So you knew like, you know, he's with this tribe and she's with that tribe. And the leader of the tribes would, you know, have the biggest headdress or the strongest warrior would have the most bones. And... It remains that way today. Whether you are front row at Fashion Week or riding the subway, the clothes that we wear say a lot about who we are, and we all wear different things to send different messages. So if we want to send the message we are professionals, we wear suits or blazers. If we want a peacock, we'll wear clothes that accentuate different parts of our bodies. And if we want to send the message that we are stupid, we wear MAGA hats. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. it had to be said. It did. Oh, I liked it. Oh, I took, well I took a very deliberate sip of my wine after that. So that she did. Oh, good. <laughs> yes. yes. Oh, I want to take a sip of my drink. Too. Yes, take Queen. one. Cheers. She Pretty said it. I also have to say, I kept thinking of like an image of of Halle Berry in the Flintstones movie, like being like bougie yeah. in her like, cave yes. person outfit. I was like, yeah, she must be head of the tribe. She had the upscale cave outfit. You knew she the was important. The Flintstones yeah. uh, movie, I probably cartoon too, but movie especially is a really good example of that because you see Fred 
go from like regular guy in his like Flintstone attire and then you see him after he starts making all those little chips <laughs> which yeah. are dollars yeah. but they actually look yeah. like puzzle pieces and you see like the way that their clothes get upgraded <laughs> yeah um, there's a, that's change. a good example yes yeah I'll put that in our um photo album so yes Flintstones <laughs> I'm not going to give you the history of fashion because that's like five different semesters worth of courses at FITM. But right. <laughs> I do want to share some of the you know most outrageous fashion stories in history. So one of the most interesting bits about fashion history has to be the history of deadly clothing. And uh, deadly clo- deadly clothing that wow. has killed people. It's real. Deadly clothing is something that we see in a lot of fictional stories and legends. Um, I don't know. You guys probably know this because you love Disney. You know, in the original Snow White. Yes. It was a, a poison. Well, first of all, she tried to kill her with a corset. She tried to put a corset on her that was, well, it was so like tight. Well, it was like a ribbon, wasn't it? I thought it was, I a, thought it was like corset. a corset or a ribbon that went around her, her waist. Yeah. yeah. And she tried to suffocate her. That didn't work. So she poisoned a comb and put that in her hair. And that didn't work. And then she was like, fine, eat this apple. And at that point, (laughs) it's Snow White's fault. Because... (laughs) You gotta learn. You gotta learn, honey. didn't she also... I thought... Did you already say this way? Maybe... Did she also had put on shoes that made her, like, dance for a while? What? Like, did she have shoes that made her dance forever? Like, red hot shoes? Oh, like she would never she put, stop dancing? Yeah, like when she had, they kept moving. But I, at, I I can't remember if that's her, if that was some other... Or if that was another sad sack Disney princess. Yeah, <laughs> princess. There's Either lots way, of depressing stories. if it was her, that's just another thing that she should have <laughs> um, read. Yeah. It's another red flag. Snow dumb. Snow dumb, exactly. Yeah. Snow wits about her. So, yeah, deadly clothing is a lot of things we see in, in fictional stories, but... As we know, those usually originate from real things that have happened, real history. And starting with the least deadly but could still fuck you up are corsets. And mm-hmm. corsets, they could cause, you know, they could cause faintness. Um, the, the compressing of the abdominal organs could cause poor di- digestion or completely rearrange organs, which causes them to function more slowly or break down entirely. It's so crazy it's that a corset can like, rearrange your organs. It's too tight. I learned that that was the problem in Pirates of the Caribbean when Kira Knightley could not breathe and she had to have her corset ripped off. Um, did you, you have that? to read about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she passed out. And that happened all the time. And they kept wearing it. You know why? They make you look awesome. They make you look hot. Yep. They give I you that it. silhouette that you've I been get looking it. for. They would also, um, they could cause your back muscles to atrophy. Um, rib, rib cages could become deformed, which would cause uh, lifelong health issues. But as far as we do know, corsets never killed anyone. Or at least that's what the corsets want you to think. I'm not sure. Uh, right. Like it'd be, it'd be complications with the corset, not the corset right. itself. Yeah. It's like COVID. The corset wouldn't want you to know that it did it, but it did it. Yeah. 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 COVID. It's like, no, 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 no. Her, her brain exploded. And mm-hmm. it, it was, mm-hmm. she died it from brain explosion. I only, I only like, you know, held the, the, <laughs> like, the brain's okay. hand. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. So same thing. There was also, um, this was sometimes deadly, not always, but Chinese foot binding, which was when Chinese families would bind mm. the feet of young Chinese girls because tiny feet were a symbol of femininity and the toes would curl under or the ideal situation would be the toes would wither and fall off entirely. So, why? That's awful. 
And the thing is, is like that wasn't mostly was not deadly, but it is thought that close to 10% of women who had their feet bound did die from gangrene or other infections because of it. Yeah. And foot binding actually wasn't even outlawed till 1912, which I find just whoa, whoa, absurd. that feels way too recent. Isn't that yeah. when the Titanic sank? It was 1912, April. Uh. <laughs> The Titanic sank because and... of foot binding, <laughs> or was it the other way around? Or was will it we ever way? know? We will never know. Never. Um, in the Victorian era, a new trend became popular, and this was called bottle green dresses. And they were they were huge, and they were very expensive, and they were the most beautiful green. And even still today, you find that description bottle green. I actually looked it up, and bottle green apparently is my favorite green, which I didn't know. Oh. I had a favorite green until I googled bottle green, and that's is my that favorite like, green. Like a, and like it's a, just beautiful. Like a Dos Equis bottle. It's almost <laughs> like <laughs> like a champagne bottle. What kind? Of green we talking. it's like an evergreen but with a, a little bit of a blue hue it's so pretty oh it's such a sound... deep rich matte green it's so beautiful um but the problem was to achieve that color at that time the fabric was dyed using large amounts of arsenic oh no thank you oh well we learned about that on the queen mary <laughs> <laughs> yes we did oh god that poor man what was his name <laughs> oh Oh uh, God! I don't remember any of uh, There were so many. I know. I just want. I just remember thinking, like, was he hot? Was he hot? Was he <laughs> handsome? <laughs> we have to know. Because if he's gonna haunt us, just well, I mean, his face was missing. But okay. Anyways, I digress. So yes. the the fabric was dyed using large amounts of arsenic, and the thing is, is that they knew about it, and that didn't stop them from wearing the dresses because they were so beautiful. So they were only worn on special occasions. And this was oh, to limit geez. the exposure to the arsenic in the fabric, but still women would suffer nausea, <laughs> impaired of vision, uh, skin I reactions. Just like, everyone's saying, like, Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, sorry, it's my dress. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> like, she faints. My dress is made oh, of poison. Yeah. That you so badly wanted to impress a man at the ball that you had to wear the arsenic dress. Come you on. You had to wear your arsenic dress. Also, the workers that make them. That's the thing. Yeah. They, a lot of them died. Oh. Because, you know, they were... Ex- they had their they hands were, in they them. They were expendable. I hate to say it, but they were expendable. Yeah. But I also feel like... So awful. I feel like at that time, though, in Victorian era, there was a lot of children or a lot of teens doing jobs like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, yeah, the young you're right. People. So that's just... So not sad. great. Um, not great. I've taken another drink. <laughs> Take another t- You're going to need a As couple. As you should. In the mid-19th century, we saw a large number of human fireballs because of the highly flammable fabric that was used in dresses. And oh. literally, not just flammable, like combustible. What? jeez. Oh, not like my sleeve is a little bit on fire. No, like one second you aren't on fire and the next second you are fire. You're just a ball was, of Is that where spontaneously combust comes from? No, that's an actual thing. <laughs> no, because oh, that can great. actually happen to a person. Yeah. So, uh, Someone can actually spontaneously that. combust? Yeah. Yes. There have been We've like- We've talked about it on the show. I missed that one. Five cases for sure that are like, we don't know what happened. We just know this person exploded into flame in front of our eyes. I'm sorry. Yeah. What? And that's the only evidence. Yep. It's just like they're on fire and they're gone. And that was it. 
There was a report in the New York Times in 1858 that said there were an average of three deaths per week from these fire dresses. Oh, and three a week? Three a week. Jeez. And two of Oscar Wilde's half-sisters died this way. Oh, two my, of oh my them. goodness. What? How it, Do you know in between how long it was in between? Um, they, together. They t- died together. So oh, maybe okay. it doesn't like, count. But, right. but what happened was is that they were at a party and one of them caught fire. And like I said, it's not just like, oops, like someone put this out. It's like, no, I'm fully engulfed in flame now. And oh. uh, his other sister ran to help her. And she no. also caught fire and they both died. Like that's wow. how serious it was. And the dresses were made of very flammable fabric. It was bobinet, cotton, muslin, and gauze, which were all open weave fabrics. And they helped create what was the trend at the time, which was sort of like an ethereal, floaty, romantic gown. Uh, And the popular silhouette at the time was a giant bell shape. Mm. Um, which mm-hmm. was a very large skirt, which made the rest of the women's bodies look slimmer by comparison, which is what it was for. And those full skirts, though, with the air underneath them, because they had the the cages, you know, yeah, they the, do um, ca- like the wooden cages the that were crinoline, like, yeah, yeah, and uh, then it would go over, and then that, yeah, because of the, all that air underneath them, it basically created a funnel for fire. Oh, oh my gosh, that's so horrible. And three, we, we didn't have electricity at the time. Everything was candle and gaslight. So the the likelihood of you accidentally catching fire was was For something uh, much so higher. simple. Yeah. 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 My goodness. Than it is today. So most of these deadly fashions uh, did happen to women, but men had a few to worry about as well. There was a trend in the 19th century that garnered the nickname the father killer because of how dangerous it was. They were... Very stiff, starched, detachable collars. And they were starched to the point that they were nearly unbendable. And they would be attached with studs. And the collars could and did slowly asphyxiate a man, especially if he fell asleep or passed out while drinking. He would literally (gasps) suffocate. Oh, my God. Wow. Just because the collar wouldn't budge and then it'd be fastened. It wouldn't move, yeah. Oh. Oh, What can you imagine? No. Terrific. It, that wasn't all, though. They also had pointed corners. So there was one Ooh. guy uh, specifically in St. Louis who oh tripped God, in Ashley. the street, and one of the corners of his collar stabbed him in the throat. I knew you were going to oh. do it. I knew you were going to say it. Stop. Yeah. His shirt stabbed him to death. That yes. can't happen. Sorry, dude. Ugh. A lot of this Whoa. happened because we didn't fully understand the dangers of chemicals at the time. Or, like I said earlier, because we didn't give a shit about the lower class. Like, they were all factory workers, yeah. and they were the garment makers. And, I mean... Right, but then wouldn't they essentially care if the wealthy were the ones that were dying? Well, because usually well? the wealthy weren't. I mean, even with the oh, arsenic like very... dresses, it was like, we don't Few die. We get sick, and, like, you know, we get a rash, but, like, we're not going to die. Right, right. Man. For beauty. Yeah, when did, I mean, like, when did these come out as being like, oh, we probably shouldn't do this? I don't know. That had to have happened over time. I mean, even today we have trouble regulating factories and, like, the the amount of chemicals these people can breathe in. It's like the federal regulation is like, this is fine. It's like, it is fine, but if they're pregnant and they don't know it, the fetus is going to be 
disformed. You know what I mean? Like, right. mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. fine, quote unquote, fine. But is it fine? But it's not no. great. <laughs> and especially if you have like any kind of sensitivities and like pregnancy is a good example, but mm-hmm. any kind of illness or, you know, compromised immune system, you're going to be screwed. Yeah. Yeah. And especially back then, I mean, factory workers... There was a lot of mer- mercury poisoning outbreaks uh, that would happen. And it at the time, again, we weren't, no one knew what was happening. They just knew people were dying. And it wasn't until we understood, like, oh, you can, mercury is bad and you can't be exposed to it. Right. And some people, you know, they wouldn't die, but the toxic chemicals would blacken people's nails or make their teeth fall out. And it was just sort of like life. Yeah. That was just wow. how it went. So sad. That is really sad. It's very sad and something that we should, you know, continue to address today, but I'm not going to get into that right now. (laughs) (laughs) Amen, sister. Obviously, throughout history, we've also seen a lot of crazy fashion trends. We talked about this on the body modification episode. In fashion, one day you're in and the next day you're out. They change so quickly. Yeah, but I mean... Fashion, the fashion industry, like not to interrupt you, but the fashion industry was kind of heading towards a cliff as of late. In fact, COVID actually kind of helped it slow down. What do you they mean? Were, oh, wow. Yeah, uh, they were. So it used to be that there was, you know, two seasons. You do your spring, summer, and you do your autumn, mm-hmm. winter. Yeah. And those would be when uh-huh. the fashion shows were. And then more designers were coming out, more demand for things. So then all of a sudden designers started doing new shows and more shows at just random times. And those all would be like bigger and they're meant to be bigger, but they're supposed to be ready to wear collections. So they weren't actually ready to wear. So it was very... In a sense, it was almost wasteful because so many things were going out that weren't actually ready to wear. So, so much materials were being used and so many uh, resources were being used without them being able to have the money on the back end for them being bought because they weren't actually wearing. They were actually more like art pieces. Ah, yeah. And so, so nobody was, just, was everyone them. was and everything was just com- coming out more and more and more and more and more. And COVID kind of was like, wait, hold up. We need, like, you guys like have every, to take a step back. Yeah, everyone, and it kind of made everyone kind of realize, like, we need to start actually making clothes that are well wearable. They can be fashion forward and they can still be, you know, trendy and new. But, like, we don't have to go so out there. There are certain designers that can still go pretty avant-garde or pretty, you sure. know. But you still have to realize that it is – there is still a functionality to it that you need to uh, accept. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that's a silver lining of COVID for the fashion industry, if that helps The them. fashion industry as well is one of the most wasteful industries. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. something they're constantly trying to address. At least a lot of them are trying to find like, okay, you know, clothes that can be recycled or like. Yeah, upcycling is from complete. Right. Secondhand stores are really great for that. But still, mm-hmm. there's like 20,000 tons of of clothing ends up in landfills every year. Right. It's something really? crazy. Yeah. So um, just finding like sustainable fashion uh, is is something that I think a lot of designers are, are at least aware of. I don't know right. if they're practicing yeah. it, but they're at least, you know. Well, it is an art form as well. A lot more people are trying to, like, a lot more people are trying to adopt that. But I was even reading an article recently that said, like, do more research on the brands that are claiming to be ethical. Because sometimes if you dig into the ones who are saying, like, we're being ethical and we're doing things the right way and we're using sustainable resources, blah, blah, blah. If you do a little more research, they're still not doing it the right way. And 
they're lying on their website. So it's like, who do we trust? What do we do? Well, it's hard too because you know they say like, oh, don't don't buy fast fashion. Like fast fashion is really really horrible for the environment for X Y Z reason. But at the same time, you can't shame people who can only afford fast fashion. Like who can only afford um, the the thing in the budget, the much cheaper you know options. So I don't know. That's sort of a that's a a tricky situation. Yeah. Absolutely. But on to fashion trends. Obviously, yeah. let's hear it. Throughout history, we've also seen a lot of crazy fashion trends. And um, trends change all the time, depending on a lot of the time society at the time. For example, it used to be that, that being chubby was a sign of wealth because all poor mm-hmm. people yes. were very skinny. So a right. fashion trend um, at that time was called bombasting, which was stuffing parts of your clothing to exaggerate a feature. And both men and women wow. would do this. Um, Queen Elizabeth oh, very wish. famously would. She <laughs> would stuff her uh, sleeves. You've seen many pictures of Queen Elizabeth with the huge arms, like the huge sleeves. Yeah. That was bombasting. And men wow. would wear a bombast to give themselves big full bellies. Like that Ooh, was something that they so- would... Interesting. Fake, essentially, because the you know the bigger you are, the 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 more money you have. The you Yeah. Yeah, I think Tim Burton did a little play on that in his Alice in Wonderland when he made all of the the Wonderland people have exaggerated features or the Queen's Court to try and like these fake things. I think he probably pulled inspiration there. That's so interesting. I know also like back in the day, like when you see all all like paintings, you know, like Botticelli and and all of those, like. The larger they are, the the people. It, it was a sign of beauty. It was, it, mm-hmm, you know, right. all the the drawings of Diana or Artemis. She's large with her bow. Yeah, yeah. The women were curvier. That was why, you know, that was a sign of of wealth and health. And today, it's the opposite. Extremely skinny and fit people make up the you know upper class because they can afford trainers and nutritionists. Whereas you see right. a lot of obesity in the lower class because of the accessibility of fast food and how much cheaper and easier it is to eat junk food than than fresh vegetables and fruits, etc. Organic, right? Or, yeah. it's all oh my god, around. It's so expensive. So it's the opposite now. Yeah, where. Oh, skinny yeah. Is, yeah, we get veg- vegetable noodles people. and they're so expensive. Dude, I won't talk I about can't. it because I'm not happy. <laughs> I know, I, I hate it. It's when I was a vegetarian or vegetarian, and when I was gluten and uh, gluten free, gluten intolerant. I don't. I might still be. I don't know. I've I've given up on my body. I just figured like this is what I have, and this is how it is. <laughs> this is um, what it is. But I remember then I had to I had to buy or make the vegetable noodles all the time if I wanted pasta, and fuck me, that sucks. So freaking pricey. Oh my god, so yeah. expensive. It's insane. Yes. There was also a trend during Elizabethan times wherein women would blacken their teeth. And this was because (laughs) sugar... I'm sorry. Tyler what? really enjoyed that. I'm sorry. What? This was yeah. desirable? Okay, yes. I'm sorry, Ashley. Keep going. Did it look like they were missing teeth? Yeah. What? Like... This was because sugar was rare and only available to the wealthy. And the queen at the time, for example, ate so many sweets that there are stories that her teeth were so decayed she was hard to understand. So women would make their teeth look rotten to give the impression that they could afford sugar. I cannot wow. handle that. But tidbit. you know what, not one though? Bit. I mean, I, I'm not to trying to step on your your 
parade. So just I don't know if that's even a saying. Um, but like, did that's the same as in like during the wars when women would draw um the pencil mark or the the mm-hmm. line up the back of their leg for nylons. So it yeah. looked like they were wearing nylons. I actually I did. I'm gonna talk about the nylon riots, which oh, is like my new it, favorite sorry. thing. No, that's a small portion of it, but yeah, it's the same thing where it's like I want to give the illusion that I could afford this luxury. Right. Yeah, or or oh the the gosh. red bottoms. You could buy those red bottoms and stick them on your high heels. Yeah, to make oh yeah, it look that's like, like a, a trend of today. What the hell Christian is Louboutin. In the '90s and early aughts, it was very fashionable to be tan. Uh, we remember mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes. Oh yes, uh, yes, too much so. I tanned like basically every day of my high school career. I was that girl. I was that girl. I went to the tanning salon. We've seen the pics, Lauren. Oh God. Yeah, literally anytime I post a throwback, it's actually hilarious that every single person who like only knows me now is a non-tanning normal person will comment and be like, what color of skin is this? Like, what uh, were you I trying to obtain? I believe the shade she was achieving was Oompa Loompa. <laughs> it was so bad. And I'm like, yeah, I forgot that I tanned every day of my life. It was disgusting. I only, anyway. I tanned in a tanning bed once and I ended up in the ER, so. What? what? Why? Yeah. Well... Uh, I had never tanned before and I wasn't allowed to. My mom said, you're not allowed to. So I had to sneak there with my friend, Amanda. And, um, (laughs) you know, when you sign up for, I signed up for like a package, it was like, you know, uh, 10 times, 10 tanning, whatever. Right. Yeah. I signed up for a package and I paid with cash and, you know, they give you the little, the little like sauce, like to go thing of lotion. They're like, pick Mm -hmm. uh, lotion. You can, you can test some out, especially since you just bought bought a package. So I was like, I'm going to try that one. And they're like, cool. Uh, I didn't know that it was like tingly. It was supposed to be like tingly. Um, yeah, it's straight up like burn. Yep. So I rubbed this what? on my body. And yeah, it's sort of like, you know how like some condoms are like hot. <laughs> they have like a uh, sensation. No, this lotion condoms has a do sensation. not work. They just make everything go. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. It burns. It's like not a pleasurable feel. Maybe it is for some. It's it was not, not nice. for me. So I put it on my body and I rubbed it in all over and I get in the tanning bed and I'm in there for like maybe 10 minutes and I was like, something is wrong. I hurt everywhere. And I get out of the bed because, you know, there's a mirror in there. I get out of the bed. I'm purple. I am oh. purple from head to toe. And I f- at first was like, is this the lighting? What's happening? And I turn around and I see a handprint on my back from where I couldn't reach with the lotion, but I sort of got it with my hand. And oh it's in the shape of whatever lotion it was. It had, oh. I had an allergic reaction to this lotion all over my body, every Jeez. place it touched. And I was swelling up like a balloon and I had to go to the hospital where my fucking mom worked. So she <laughs> knew that I had she been to a tanning out. bed yeah. and then you I never tanning. got to tanning. Um, oh. Man, that's so, rough. You know, well, while you're ballooning up in the Victorian era, it would have been fashionable for you to be that large. Very so. true. See? <laughs> there we it's go. Not, Full swelling. Time is relative. swelling was nice. Luckily, thank God, the tan trend has died off and is dying off. But in the 1700s, the opposite was true. The The paler, the better. Like, you mm, should be yeah. a ghost. And especially in France... French women would uh, even draw over their veins in blue pencil to accentuate their ghostliness. No oh, wow. way. Yeah, they that wanted to be intense. like clear. Wow. Jeez. 
But yeah, you see that. Those are the designs where people made themselves like white, you know, the drawing of the white face or the powder or the... Was yeah, that like, people would powder the shit yeah, out of their face. Yeah, Georgian or... Um, yeah, that was an era. Yeah. Uh, Versailles. <laughs> like yes, that kind yeah, of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, yeah, the, very French, yeah. So finally, my last thing, one of my favorite fashion stories, and you s- briefly mentioned it, uh, took place in America in 1945. It was known as the Nylon Riots, and I <laughs> love this. So... Nylon was actually introduced in 1939 by a company called DuPont and immediately was in extremely high demand because we women had had uh, sort of like tights before, but they were not durable like they didn't yeah they it was like a one-time use sorry you're out oh, really? like it was garbage yeah they had stockings yeah. that were like i was very gonna say thick. stockings is that what yeah but they were just so thin right that like, they they like pantaloons and stockings yeah. Yeah. So nylon came around. It was like, what is this? This is magic and it makes my legs look great. But the problem was we were in the middle of World War II and the war production board had DuPont manufacturing its wartime material because nylon was used for parachutes and airplane cords and ropes. But that meant there was a shortage of, uh, of stockings. So nylon actually became very popular on the black market. A pair of stockings would sell for $20 a pair. Which is at the time wow. insane. That That's time, insane yeah. now. I yeah. wouldn't pay twenty pay twenty dollars for like, a pair of tights <laughs> now. I just picture a guy like with a long trench coat, like turning a quarter, being like, "You want to buy some stockings? You want to buy some nylon?" <laughs> he opens it, and there's like sort every of. color shade you need. Yeah, right. Like, and uh, that also is... like the dark web. Did you say the dark web? Oh, black market. Never mind. I was like, they don't have a dark web back then. Yeah, but the dark no. web <laughs> is kind of the black market now. I mean, it is. Yeah, it was the same yeah. thing of the time. Yeah. yeah, but there was no web. But that's when when women couldn't get their hands on them. They would use lotions and creams, and then they would draw the seam line down their legs that would give them the illusion of nylons. And they yeah. also, nylons became a target of crime. For example, in Louisiana, one household was robbed of 18 pairs of nylons. And that sort of thing was so popular everywhere that there were a few murders in Chicago that actually ruled out robbery as a motive simply because the nylons were untouched. Whoa. Wait, that's huge. If it had been robbery, they would have taken the nylons because you could sell them and make a shit ton of money. Wait, is that when people started to use nylons like as face coverings too, I wonder? Oh, could have been. That's a good question. Yeah, the crime. I feel like it would be more profitable to sell them than to put them on your face. I don't actually know. Right. Yeah, stretch them out. So in 1945, eight days after Japan's surrender, DuPont announced that they would resume producing stockings and and newspaper headlines actually read, peace, it's here, nylon's on sale. (laughs) (laughs) God, you know, just to be a fly on that wall. (laughs) I know, And just, oh man. That's so good. Thank God the nylons were there. Thank God they're back. (laughs) Yeah. DuPont promised that they would be able to produce 360 million pairs a year, but this turned out to be a little aggressive and impossible. So the production delays led to a shortage, and that's when the riots started. And the first riot occurred in September, uh, but they grew and grew in severity. In November, close to uh, 30,000 women lined up in New York in one place for stockings, and... 40,000 women lined up in Pittsburgh and they lined up for a place that only had 13,000 pairs to sell. 
Oh, wow. Outrage. So, I bet there was just total outrage. Uh, seriously. It, the thing was, is they opened the doors. Women were trampled um, <gasps> as they all tried to bum rush the store. Yikes. Fights broke out. Women were scratched and clawed. They had their hair ripped out. They stood in line for hours for this place to open. Over nylons. Over nylon. No one wow. died. Here's the thing. No one died. Thank God. And today, it probably seems like so what? Because we've seen hours and hours of footage of Black Friday shoppers, particularly well, when still, oh my gosh, people are just getting but, beat. Yeah. But they, I mean, there's then, still like cameras and regulations. And, yeah. I mean, right. like for that amount. And uh, yeah. Especially for it to be women, like you, yeah, like you'd imagine that that men. I mean, I guess they wouldn't get that way over shopping for something, but the brawls, yeah. you know. But for you women, know, you, to do you that, mean, don't don't insane. discount the don't discount us gay men. We Very get pretty true. feisty. We get feisty. That's right. And get a little sassy. A little sassy. Uh, yeah. That I mean, but also you like think of like the great protests of you know the years. And, uh, you know, it's over, like, education or whatnot. And then right. this is over nylon. Yeah, yeah, you're just sort of like, come on, really? But, I mean, I get it. I mean, it, that's how much people wanted to be in luxury or appear to. Yeah, you want to appear that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's that was just crazy. one of those things where it was like, you know, I remember when I was in school, what was it? If you didn't have a pair of those cool i don't remember if it was abercrombie and fitch or hollister those really tight low-waisted jeans with the blue pen mark on them do you know what i'm talking about it looked like a doodle yeah it looked like a little blue pen doodle on the like thigh okay yeah that was a big deal it was a huge fucking deal and if you didn't have those like get out of town you're not popular and i wanted them so bad oh yeah no oh my god yeah for me it was like uh, if i didn't have like a a collared shirt from abercrombie or american eagle in every color i Mm -hmm. didn't know what was up with the world yeah yeah like and it had to be pop you were judged on your outfit and and my i mean my parents were like my brother would be like let's go to old navy and i'm like who are you uh, we cannot. You know, uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, the fashion world has always been kind of the same. Yeah, and mm-hmm. today I feel like there's so many options that no one is really ostracized for not being able to wear a certain thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe in different classes. I mean, I don't know anything about high school life. I'm sure it's the same there, and I'm sure it's the same for like the elite. You know, you never see an actress wearing the same thing twice. That's a hor- That's right. embarrassing. Although, wait, wait. Although Jennifer Lawrence and Amy Schumer did call it out. Um, Good. and there's one actress. Oh, man, now I wish I knew who it was, but she she is refusing to like she said that she's not actually buying another single red carpet gown, and she's only reusing the ones she's worn before. Well, did you guys see Tiffany Haddish wore like the same dress like nine times yeah. for that oh, exact reason? That. Where she was like, I just she was like, I spent thousands of dollars on this dress. I'm gonna wear it to every award show, and she did That's when so she was good. first rising to fame. She wore it everywhere. And the thing is, is like, who gives a shit? <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Who gives a shit? But Who it was cares? like yeah. this whole thing started when Jennifer Lawrence like wore a, a red carpet dress to like Amy Schumer's wedding, I think. Oh, and I remember. was like, what? Yeah. And you know, She's of like, course, yeah, like Amy Schumer this. and Jennifer Lawrence were like just throwing big middle fingers up in the air, being like, yeah. "What is the problem? Like, why wouldn't I? It worked for an award show. It works for a wedding. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It was expensive. Let's do." One it. thing I did learn though is that they don't also keep those like a lot of those dresses are on loan yeah a lot they have so to that's back. one of the reasons why you don't see them in them you know that's the whole reason for like who are you wearing tonight the designer mm-hmm, right? wants mm-hmm. their dress to be promote seen the designer on whoever and then you give it yeah. back 
Right, but that's mm-hmm. also now starting to become a trend also with male fashion and the sense that, like, I remember there's a big stink. Kate Blanchett even said a huge thing. She goes, why are you panning up and down me? She goes, you don't do that to my male counterparts. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tell so it was, like a, it was like, a, okay, so we were both talking about fashion. Fashion is equal in both sides, you know, in all sides of it. And, and let's, you know, then move on to, like, why I'm here. Right. It's still good to, like, say that, though, for the designer. It is. I, I do have to say how much I am loving men's fashion these days. The very asexual sort of, you know, men wearing earrings or men wearing mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. eyeliner or men. I- yeah. I'm so into it. I know like I Timothy agree. Chalamet is one of them. Um, that guy from American Horror Story Apocalypse that played... Yes, Cody Fern. Yeah, Cody Fern is Cody one Fern of them. Cody Fern is a big one. I mean, Troy Sivan's a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, Troy Sivan is a, yeah, that was who I was uh, thinking of. And actually, even Sean Mendez. I feel like Harry Styles does a little bit Harry of it, Styles. too. Harry mm-hmm. Styles. Harry Styles is great. Ezra Miller. Oh, I love Ezra. Oh, yeah, Ezra always is, you know, exploring. Um, yes. I think also that it's safe to say that, like, maybe, I don't know, disclaimer, that, like, when we talk about fashion today and we use the words feminine and masculine we're not like we're only using them in the way that like the old society of gender conformity is using them so like this is more towards female versus male we're not saying non-binary doesn't exist and we're not saying anything else to that matter we're just using them as those adjectives yes yeah that is a good disclaimer so let's move on. Lauren, you are going to share with us some a true crime story. Oh, I'm yes, excited for I this. Am. I don't Yeah, wait, okay. I'm on it. It's my favorite thing to talk about anyway, but now it's involved in fashion, which makes it just very exciting and scandalous. Okay, so I'm not going to talk about the Versace murder today because I think that is the most well-known. You can all go Google it if you have not heard of it, or you can watch the Ryan Murphy Honestly, show. Honestly, it is it's a it's treat. So it's so, it is it's so, so good. It is so good, and I do truly, truly think Darren Chris is amazing in it. I thought he was incredible in mm-hmm. it. I thought he did such a good job. I thought Edgar as Versace did a wonderful job. I thought Penelope Cruz did. Even Ricky Martin is in Ricky it, Ricky Martin's great. It's so good. The Assassination of Gianni Versace, American Crime Story. Go check it out. Um, also, there is a great mysterious story about Vittorio Missoni, um, former CEO of the Missoni Italian Fashion House, but I want to save it for an Unsolved Mysteries episode, so oh. it's very good. You'll hear about it later. Um, there are just so many, so many good stories in the fashion world that I truly didn't know existed until I did some digging. But I'm going to kick things off with talking about Gucci, the Gucci family. What? In 1995, in Milan, one of the most fashion-forward places in the world, we all know, like, Milan is, like, it's where you go for fashion. Mm. And there lived Maurizio Gucci, who was the former president of the Gucci Fashion House and also grandson to the founder, who, (laughs) I don't know if this is actually how you pronounce his name, this is how little I know about high fashion, if it was actually Guccio Gucci, or if you pronounced his first name, like, Guccio instead, because I just... Like, yeah, I don't know if it's more fancy than I'm thinking, just to think that Guccio Gucci could be a name. But it's maybe like it Mario Mario. Yeah, but yeah right. Like, but also, what? we probably are not. Like, if you heard someone actually say it in the native tongue, like, it probably doesn't sound like that. Like, it would sound Gucci. different. Yes. Like, tonight, I'm going to be right. saying a lot of designers where I throw on, like, some sort of accent that doesn't even exist. Right. <laughs> oh, you try harder than yeah, I do. Because I'm like, you know? Gucci. Yeah. <laughs> so... 
Anyway, he's the grandson. He was the president um, for a long time. And Maurizio Gucci is entering his office just like he would any other normal day. And he's still in the front main hallway when a man gets out of a green Renault Clio, a little a little Italian car. He had parked right behind him. He got out of the car, followed him into the hallway, and pulled a thirty two caliber and shot him three times. Two bullets into the back and one into his butt. Maurizio slumped to the ground. He was still alive, tried to crawl away for a little bit, and then the man fired a fourth shot aiming at his left temple, and it killed him. Mm. The man ran out, jumped back in the car, and whoever was in driving the getaway car sped away. Nobody even had a chance to see who it was. Nobody even really knew it was happening until they heard the gunshots and then found him dead. The investigation was immediately underway after this insane murder, and it was initially believed to be someone in the Gucci family because... Oh. Maurizio was a party boy. He was known to spend a ton of money and not really give it a second thought. It was believed that people in the family didn't necessarily support him or his decisions during his time as president, so maybe this was their way of removing him. But after going through all these different theories, they couldn't find any way to connect it to the family. So the investigators started to think of who had a motive besides the family, and they looked to his ex-wife, Patrizia Reggiani. They were together for 15 years, had two children, and Patrizia was known for going around town bad-mouthing Maurizio any time she got the chance. Mm-mm. She also, um, he, I know. He also recently had announced he was going to marry his much younger girlfriend, Paola, and he would be paying less alimony to Patrizia. So, with all of this going on, they were sort of like, okay, so she hates this guy. She's not going to be getting her money anymore. She seems like the perfect person. But... Besides all of the rumors and a pretty decent motive, there was no substantial evidence, and the investigation went on for two years on who murdered Maurizio Gucci. Then comes anonymous word, finally, a breakthrough. Um, the police got called, um, and somebody told them that they knew of a hitman who was hired to help carry out this murder. There was a man named Ivano Savioni who had been walking around town telling everybody that he did this murder and somebody paid him, blah, blah, blah. So they go interview this guy, and it turns out that he did indeed pull the trigger, and he was good friends with a woman named Pina Aruma, a tarot card reader and a self-proclaimed witch... So that's Love fun. Her. That is fun. This, this took a turn. <laughs> Love her already. And she lived near Patrizia Reggiani's household and often was a guest in Patrizia's vacation home. Mm. So they were dear, dear friends. So the police were like, okay, this guy, like this Ivano Savioni, the hitman, like he was obviously in trouble and they detained him. But we're like, we need to get to the bottom of this because we can tell like you don't have the connection we're looking for. We need the mastermind. So... They start tapping into phone calls between Patrizia and uh, Pina the Witch. <laughs> oh, yes. And Always call her that, please. <laughs> Pina the That's Witch. her name from now Pina on. Pina the That's Witch. It. It's Pina the Witch. She, they start intercepting the phone calls, and these two women practically confess on the phone. They don't actually say the words, but there are heavy implications. And there's talk about, you know, different locations and who was involved and all of the names they were looking for. So they end up being able to have enough to go arrest them and call Patrizia Reggiani, the ex-wife, the mastermind of all of it. So they arrest her. They arrest little witchy. (laughs) They arrest the hitman. And they arrest the guy who was driving the getaway car. And um, 
Patrizia Reggiani was sentenced to 26 years in prison in San Vittore, but in 1998, or no, in 1998, she was convicted. I wanted to include this little tidbit. I forgot. I put a star. (laughs) In 1998, the day she was convicted, Gucci displayed silver handcuffs in their flagship store window in Florence with the Gucci emblem on them. And I thought that was so fun. That's a whole operation. That That murder was, um, there were a lot of, of people involved. Yeah. A lot of people. I know. I was like, I'm saying a lot and of like names. One, I hope everybody's keeping up. It was like up. one murderer, you know, quote unquote, like one person killed him. But right. it took a team. It yeah, took so an entire many. team. Yeah, so many. It was a lot of people. I like that in these high profile ones, though, you know? Totally. It was because Patrizia knew she couldn't get close enough right. without getting caught. And so she slid Pina the witch. She slid her some money and said, just keep me out of it and do what you want. And that was the only instruction she gave her. And so then little witchy found the hitman and all of that. And so that's like how Patrizia tried to wiggle out of it in the beginning was like, well, I never said kill him. I just said, do whatever you want, blah, blah, blah. But they were like, no, Uh we've heard your phone calls. We know how you talk about him. And like, this seems very much like you wanted this to happen. So she was she was able to get convicted in 1998. Um, and then she was a very liked prisoner. Sorry, she just went one degree of separation away from her. Like, if you really didn't want to get caught, like, let's (laughs) let's move a few degrees away. Start a text Totally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. (laughs) And then leave the conversation. Exactly. And then take yourself out of it. No, it's like, everybody knew that she knew this woman, and, like, the woman wasn't very secretive about it, and, yeah, it was just, it did not end well at all, clearly. Um, so she went to prison. She got out of prison in 2018 after just 18 years. So she got out a little early. She was a very liked prisoner, had very good behavior. So it's not surprising at all. She even was working as a jewelry and fashion consultant while in there because people had respected her in the industry when she was alive and knew she was connected to Gucci. So she was actually still working while in prison. And when she got back out of prison, she immediately jumped back into the fashion world and is still a consultant to this day. So murder didn't hold her back. No way. Yep. Clearly nobody gives a shit. She still works with people. Except this is the one garbage thing she says. She's like, I fully plan on being involved with Gucci again before I die. And everyone in the Gucci family is like, hell no, girl. (laughs) Like, you're never coming near us again. But... I think she will work in the fashion world forever because she has this weird, like, appeal now to people where they're like, Yeah, what is that? A, you already had the smarts about the fashion world, but now you're like this scandalous woman that we kind of like. Like, people like her edge. Yeah, I mean, so they it's, uh, it's provocative. It yeah. is. And that's a lot of how the fashion world works. Mm-hmm. So she's employed. She's good to go. Um, I mean, her, some of her accomplices are out too because they were just, you know, part of it. The only man who has life in prison is the man who actually did the shooting named Benedetto Sorallo. And which yeah, sucks because to me, he's the least guilty. 100%. I mean, like I he pulled so the trigger really or whatever, but yeah, like he's, his life you know. profession is killing people. Like, how bad can you feel? But at the same time, it's like, ah, I don't right. know. I'd send the other two to jail before I'd send him. But, you know, like, back to that, like, provocative thing, I guess that's the whole reason why, like, Carol Baskins is on Dancing with the Stars now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I am... Exactly. I can't, She but. clearly murdered her husband, and now she's dancing on ABC. Opposite that's how Neve our world works. From Catfish. I know. I know. And a Backstreet Boy. 
Okay, Did so. you see <laughs> that they aired a commercial, the family of Carol's ex-husband? Yes, aired a commercial I was obsessed with during that. the first her first episode on Dancing with the Stars. No. Basically, basically begging for people to give information. They want to know who killed. Yeah, their like dad. to please help them find. Good the for husband. them. Yeah, yeah, they were capitalizing on this crazy situation yeah, that she's on Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, you have to. She's their aunt. <sighs> she's their aunt. She ends every commercial. Oh my god. Ugh. It's crazy yeah. town. But yeah, that is a perfect example of how our world works and why this woman is going to be just fine. Yeah. Oy. So that's the Gucci story. I can't believe I had never heard of it. I had neither. Gucci is such a big name. Like Versace I had heard of. And then I was like, wait, there was a Gucci wait, so wait, murder? What year? You said 1998 was when she was convicted. Beep, oh, boop. 1995. Yeah. And she was convicted in 98. Got wow. out in uh, 2018. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's... very recent, but. Yes. No, it's crazy town. And then my next story, I wanted to move into a model before I go back into a designer story, just because, hey, models, they're part of the fashion world. They're yeah, there. They're there. They're doing their thing. They're wearing the clothes. Yeah, they are So, huge. again, they're huge. They're the biggest part. We got to see those clothes hanging off somebody beautiful. Yeah. Models are the face of the fashion, fashion industry. Mm-hmm. Like, a, a designer, Versace himself could walk into my apartment and i'd be like sir You'd have no idea i don't know who you are and i need you to leave but you know exactly. if like a famous model walked in heidi i would Klum. at least have some sort of recognition yep. oh heidi don't even get me started I love Project <laughs> the- oh heidi but even like the lesser known ones i would know their face i would have like some recognition i'd be like what are you doing in my home yeah, but like a famous right. designer if you're not anyone who's been on project runway i'll know who you are anyone else right no idea no <laughs> no clue at all couldn't tell you no it's very true so we're back in milan to no surprise because again milan is just like fashion central Capital. so now <laughs> we're in the 1980s in milan the world of models in the extremely rich was just a wild party till the wee hours of the morning in the 80s this was just how it was and one of the biggest party boys of this time was a very wealthy italian horse breeder named francesco de alessio He was a 40-year-old in 1984, drinking and doing drugs as if he was in his 20s, just spending all of his money. And his favorite type of woman to bring home was a model. He was addicted to them. He loved to date and sleep with models. Join the club. If I had a nickel, I'd be broke. (laughs) Usually several at a time. He is probably most famous not for his wealth, but for his all-night orgies with models. That's what he was known for. So, it's 4 o'clock in the morning on June 26, 1984, and Francesco de Alessio is at his house when an American woman named Terry Broom, a 26-year-old model, and someone who has had a very rocky relationship with D'Alessio, shows up at his door. Terry had only lived in Milan for a few months, but she had already fully broken into the world of partying. She was pretty intense about it. She had already been doing it in New York for years while she was trying to break into modeling there. And then she had moved over to Milan to try her luck in, of course, the best city to be. So it was well known that, you know, she was a party girl. She got around, were the rumors, and that specifically she was known to get with D'Alessio, but also be humiliated by him constantly. He would embarrass her in public, say horrible things about her. If she ignored his advances anytime he was trying to, like, grope her and be disgusting in public, she would back away, and he would continually sexually harass her when she wouldn't give in. And it was just, it was a bad relationship. Everybody Yikes, knew about it. Alessio. Everyone just kind of watched. I know. He's horrible. This is and Alessio, like this not to... Francisco, right? 
They're the same. Francesco D'Alessio. That's oh, his name. Oh, for... Okay. <laughs> sorry. For fuck's sake. <laughs> it's a lot of names. I'm sorry. Um, he was terrible. He was just, like, typical playboy, the worst. Spending all of his money drinking, doing drugs, bringing women home. It was all of it. But Terry, he was, like, specifically really, really mean to and tried to take advantage of her a lot. So she comes over. Again, we're flashing back to four in the morning. And he is having an active party. He has some other models over at his house, as he usually did. So he's like, let's go into my room and talk. They go into the bedroom, and they immediately start bickering and drinking one glass of whiskey after another, just throwing him back. At one point, cocaine comes out. They're getting super high, super drunk. It's getting even more heated, and it even becomes a little physical. Because D'Alessio would like to sleep with Terry and thinks this is going to turn into romance because they're drinking. They're in his room. He's an asshole. All these things. But of course, she doesn't want to. She has come over to tell him off because a man she is trying to date believes that she has been tending these sex parties on the weekends that he's hosting. And this guy she's trying to date is losing trust in her. So she came over to tell him off. She swears she never attended one of his sex parties. She would never sleep with multiple people at once. And she was extremely offended. So she came over to fight. And then during the argument, the fatal words come from D'Alessio where he says, if I'm not enough, I'll just call some friends which was trying to allude to the rumor that she liked sex parties. So he purposely did it to hurt her and make one extra little jab. So Terry Broom hit her limit. He had finally said something that was able to set her off. So she pulled a Smith & Wesson 38 <gasps> special from her oh, bag girl. and shot him twice. The first two shots weren't sorry. deadly. Not sorry. I was just like, oh, girl, you knew what you were doing if you brought a gun. She did. She did. She shot him. He was able to turn around and run when he saw the gun come out. So she got him in the back and he was still alive and was able to drag himself out of the bedroom into another room where a model had been waiting for him because she was over, you know, for a visit, a special visit. So she was sitting in there waiting for him. And then exactly in front of this poor young woman's eyes, Terry Broom comes out of the bedroom as well, still with gun in hand and shoots three more bullets into D'Alessio killing him this time. So the woman is like screaming and horrified and Terry just runs out of the house because she's kind of in shock that this even happened because right. she wasn't sure if she would even get to that level. But because there was a witness, there was not much question of who was involved in this murder. So the ensuing trial, which uncovered all of the realities of Milan's party scene and the sex and drugs that went into this world, actually ended well for Terry Broom because she was able to claim semi-mental infirmity, which is basically like reason of insanity, what we yeah. would say now. And she got a huge reduce on her sentence. And actually, other models were coming forward and praising her for opening the public's eyes to these creeps and the abuse that goes oh. on in the world. Because so many people, not even just Terry Broom, were coming forward and saying, yes, this happens, and he is not the only one to do this. And we are constantly getting touched and groped and taken well, advantage the thing of is, and is like these men have the power to take their careers away so it's exactly. like well if oh, i just yeah. endure we'll this you. until like i can get yeah if i just endure this until i'm big enough where i don't need to tiptoe yes. around this shit then you know exactly yeah, it's gross yeah. So she was being like so supported during this trial. And, you know, the women were saying, hey, I don't support the murder. Like, you shouldn't kill another person, but I can understand how she got to her breaking point. And even Broom's sister, who spoke at the trial, was saying that, you know, my sister doesn't have an evil bone in her body. This was not premeditated. She actually brought the gun from her boyfriend's nightstand over to D'Alessio's apartment just in order to scare him. She really. 
she did want to have a way to kind of threaten him and say, please leave me alone because you are ruining this relationship and driving me to insanity. But the murder happened because she was pushed so far by this horrible, evil man who was telling her disgusting things and degrading her and being disgusting to her. So Right. I mean, she also could have not brought the gun. Yeah. I mean, I'm playing just, like, the other side of it. Like, obviously, like, I mean, like, if that was a movie, I'd be actually, like, standing up and clapping. Right. But, like, <laughs> in in real life, uh, yeah. yeah. If you're looking I at mean, the justice system, she didn't have to bring the gun with her, but, yeah. But, yeah, because of, you know, all of the scandals going around and all of the support that she had, Terry got a very reduced sentence, like I said, and then she only had to serve two years of that already reduced sentence Holy before shit. she before she got out because of good behavior and because everybody quickly realized, like, she actually is a really good person, and I think she just, like, snapped and kind of went crazy. And she's beautiful so, and a model. Yeah, and... exactly. Yeah, it doesn't hurt that oh, she's good looking. my... So she got out and turned to the U.S. where she is still alive today, but she lives a super private life. Like, people ask her for interviews probably two to three times a year, and she always declines. It's pretty impossible to even Google her, try to go down the rabbit hole. You can't really find out what she's up to today because she stays very, very private. But she's alive and well and hopefully just enjoying her life with family and that movie starring Jennifer Lawrence? That would be a good one. Oh my god, right? That would be actually a real... I know, I mean, it's someone's life and I don't want to exploit that, but at the same time, I really want to. I know, same. (laughs) (laughs) I really want it. I really want to exploit her. (laughs) Okay, guys, I have one more story, but we're already over an hour, so what are we thinking? Tell okay. it. Okay. Bring it on. <laughs> okay, everybody. I have one more. His name is Ossie Clark. He's a British fashion designer. And Ossie is spelled O-S-S-I-E if anybody wants to look him up. Because it also sounds like it could be spelled A-U-S-S-I-E. And it's not. A-U-S. So, what? Like Aussie. Aussie like Australia. Australia. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Good night, mate. It's okay. Yeah. It's just a lot yes. of, a lot of uh, you know, letters fast. <laughs> yes, I'm saying all the things, and I'm sorry. I hope everyone can you're keep great. up. No, you're fine. I'm helping them keep up, you know? I'm a little bit... Okay. Ossie Clark. He was one of the biggest names in fashion in the 1960s, especially in England. He became an icon in London when people were starting to really loosen their morals. It was post-war. We were becoming excited about fashion and parties and rock music and youth culture. And, you know, we were feeling a little more free. It was happening, like, both in the U.S. and over in the U.K. But he was really becoming big in London at this time. And he created a line of clothes that was colorful, flowy, felt very modern and new, kind of moving out of the old era. And it felt very freeing. So he was really rising to fame with this new, bright, like, some were low-cut, some were flowy, like, hippie-type feeling Mm, clothes that mm. we see, you know, in the 60s and early 70s. So he was kind of the first to start that line. And just to name a few of the people that were obsessed with him, so you understand how cool he was, Mick Jagger loved him. Love Mm. it. Uh, Jagger's ex-wife, Bianca, loved him. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Taylor, Yoko Ono, Twiggy, and Jimi Hendrix are just a few of the names that Ossie designed for. And was good friends with. So wow. he was very loved throughout the 60s and early 70s. And in his personal life, he'd really only dated men when he actually had time to date because he was very driven and a hard worker. But hot. he actually ended up married. <laughs> so hot. <laughs> 
Hot. Yes. Tell me more. (laughs) Keep going. (laughs) Well, you won't like this next part. He ended up marrying a female fabric designer. (laughs) Man. After all that, he married a female fabric designer he worked with named Celia Burtwell. Um, They actually had two children together and were together for about eight years. And they seemed happy on the outside. But then we go back. Mm -hmm. In reality, Aussie was basically serial cheating on her with several men. And she found out about it. And uh, she actually found out and stayed with him for a little bit. But then he started to really get into alcohol and drugs. And that's when she was like, okay, okay, I've had enough. So they eventually divorced in 1975. um, But still somehow, even though he had hurt her very badly, they stayed very respectful towards each other, mostly because they loved working together and appreciated each other's creativity and art so much they still they didn't stay close but they they had a relationship they they didn't hate each other which was good but after their divorce um things just went really downhill for Aussie Clark he was a brilliant designer but a terrible businessman and his business got hit very hard in the 70s especially like with inflation he just couldn't keep up and with the divorce he was already going into a spiral and not putting as much effort into his work So by the early 1980s, he went completely bankrupt and just stepped away from fashion and was like, I guess I'm done for now. So people thought he would make a comeback. So many other designers and, you know, people in the media were like, he's going to come back. Just wait. He'll have this big line. We all get blown away. But he never really came back center stage. He would come back and help other lines and other designers do things. But he never came out with his own line again, which was so sad after the success he had. And he had to sell off his huge home most of his belongings, and he actually had to couch surf for a couple of years until he ended up landing in a public housing building in London. So he fell so hard, yeah. so fast. Wow. And he lived alone until he met a young man named Diego Cogolato. And they then lived in this small apartment together for about 18 months, just enjoying drugs and drinking and each other and not much else. Diego was only 27, and uh, at this point, Ossie Clark had reached his early 50s. So Diego was kind of trying to make him feel young again and bringing even more drugs and alcohol into his life and making, you know, the lifestyle a little more dangerous. So Ossie was already drinking too much, and then it just got worse. Um, Anytime they were in public together, they stated that they were Buddhists and living pretty peacefully together and happily. But other people saw them, you know, not trying to put on a front. They would just see them casually walking down the street, and it seemed like they were always completely out of their minds on drugs or drunk or even, like, digging through garbage cans on occasions. They got in trouble with the police for being too aggressive when they were drunk, and it was just – it was so sad. It was so depressing for all the people that knew him and loved him to see how far he had fallen um, and that he just wasn't motivated enough to do anything with his talent. So – it was going down a bad road and then just got even more depressing, oh, if you can even great. imagine. Because in August 1996, at the young age of 54, Ossie Clark was stabbed 37 times. What? He was brutally murdered by his lover, Diego. I knew it was coming. I knew it. I knew that, that fucker. When he got in, I knew that. Oh. Was it a drug-induced thing? Because like he didn't have any money at the time. He didn't. Right. That's so the why thing. He... Is when police when police interviewed Diego, they were like, "What is your motive?" Like investigators were truly baffled because there was no motive at all. Diego was even like, "I don't know." The only thing he could say was that that day they had mixed too many drugs together. It was like 
his Prozac and some amphetamines and some alcohol all put together. And he got out of his mind and said at one point he believed himself to be the Messiah and that Ossie had turned himself into Satan and he needed to stop well, him. Well, that sounds and that just was like, like the the football player or wrestler. Remember <laughs> sorry, that I didn't you know did... where you were going with that. You did I know, I didn't sp- know either. I was like, what is she about to say? You're right, though. You did though. on the sports episode. I wonder if it's there true. is a point where you do so many drugs that you see into another yes. dimension mm-hmm. and it makes you God. I don't need drugs for that. <laughs> At the, <laughs> I don't even need uh-huh. drugs. That sounds like a no. Thursday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley's right. We did an episode. It was the one with Carl at the beginning of yeah, the, the season one. where there, yeah, there was an athlete who like had the exact same experience it was where it like was like, I do think, oh, that's right. Yeah. And I don't think it could happen on like your first time. But I think if you're a drug abuser, you can get to a point where you're just taking so much because you're so determined to feel something that your brain just gets completely scrambled right. and the hallucination yeah. reaches a new level that you've never experienced before. So I do think... That can happen, and that's what happened here. And Diego was like, I thought he was the devil, and I had to kill him, but I truly didn't even understand what had happened until, like, much later. But he's like, yeah, it was me. I'm blaming it all on the drugs, but, like, because I love this man. I didn't mean to, but it was believed that it was because of the drugs, because, you know, they they could tell that he did have a lot of drugs and alcohol yeah. in his system. And they they did charge him with murder, but they also gave him a lesser set- sentence because they believed he was truly and very deeply impaired. So he only got six years in jail, which I am like, How that's are a all these people too short. I was gonna say, I was gonna, <laughs> like, out of jail. I was going to say, I don't, what, what, I like, truly don't understand. I don't know. And you hear he is the people same in there for 18. That's what I'm saying. Like for or possession life. of marijuana, yeah. like the dumbest. Yeah. He only got six oh freaking years due to what they call diminished responsibility and being so deeply impaired. So he served his six okay. years and got out. And similar to Terry Broom, it's like you can't find anything on this guy. I typed in his name and a word following it so many ways of like Diego, you know, prison sentence, uh, life after prison. Uh, where is he now? Like I like the cities he had been in and everyone was just like, he got out of prison and that was that. Uh, yeah, and also like, who's Diego? Did you I don't mean? Know and it's like every yeah. popular Diego. Yeah, everyone's like, this is a Diego we don't talk about and don't give a shit about. So he vanished off the face of the earth. Before we go with this episode, Tyler, didn't you have some suicides? I did. Um, I did have some. Well, I, as I was researching the fashion industry, uh, mm-hmm. I noticed that there was a common, um, a commonality uh, in suicides. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess the, the one of the most note or the one that people always know of is Alexander McQueen. Um, his real name yeah. was Lee Alexander McQueen. Just a little history on him. Uh, he was Britain. He was a British fashion designer and a courtier or yeah, that's how you say it, right? Sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> it's when you, you when yeah. you're when you've specialized in couture, which is where you hand sew the designs yourself, and it's specifically oh, taught right. from okay. French houses. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. yes. So it's it's a hand so done garment. Um, and then he also worked as a chief designer at, at uh, Givenchy from 1996 to 2001, and then he funded his or uh, founded, excuse me, his own Alexander McQueen label in '92. His achievements in fashion earned him four British Designer of the Year awards, as well as the CFDA's International Designer of the Year award in 2003. He did, unfortunately, die by suicide uh, in February at the age of 40 
in his home in Mayfair, Ugh, so London. Young. He was found by his housekeeper. February of what year? Of 2010. 2010. Ugh. 2010. So his mother had apparently passed a- away the day before, according to his Twitter. Oh, yeah. He said RIP mom and then a bunch of exes afterwards. Dang. And then uh, McQueen's psychiatrist said that he had mixed anxiety and depressive disorder for at least three years and had taken or had twice taken drug overdoses as cries for help. Mm-hmm. The psychiatrist also said that McQueen had repeatedly missed psychiatric sessions. So, uh, like, he couldn't, or there was an enormous difficulty in getting him to personally and physically come to appointments. Wow. The coroner did rule the death cause as asphyxiation, but reported finding a significant level of cocaine, sleeping pills, and tranquilizers in his blood samples. Wow. He had left a note. The note said, Look after my dogs. Sorry. I love you, Lee. And the BBC reported that McQueen had reserved uh, 50,000 pounds of his wealth for his dogs so they could live in the lap of luxury for the rest of their lives. He also bequeathed 100,000 pounds each to four charities. Whoa. That is wild. Yeah. There is claim, though, this is the wildest part about it. There is claim now that his DNA has been turned into leather. Excuse me? Yes, so what? Tina Gorjak, I think is her name, Gorjak, G-O-R-J-A-N-C, has an exhibit called Pure Human and is part art, part macabre, like science project, and it will use the authenticated DNA of Alexander McQueen to grow human skin and make a jacket out of it. Oh, oh my, my goodness. Isn't that insane? Okay, I can't, uh, what? That's insane, right? I'm... She, I guess her shock. thesis yeah. of her what? of her graduate program at a, fa- a fashion school, she did the same thing, but using the height of a pig, I believe. So she's now mm-hmm. trying it with with human. Interesting. Whoa. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah. That is that's a wild ride. Yeah. So okay. I can't wait to follow up on that. I yeah. I'm like I need to hear the end of that story. Yeah. Right. Um, oh. Another one. Oh, it's so sad. I know it. It is really sad. Um, another one though that is interesting is is someone that was very close to McQueen. Isabella Blow. She was a magazine editor. Some say she was a fashion icon, and she was the muse of hat designer Philip Tracy. Do you know Philip Tracy? He does like the Queen's hats. He does all the royal hats. They're like very luxurious and really cool and very like abstract. Oh, nice. Um, she was a very big advocator of um, Alexander McQueen, and she actually bought his entire collection based on Jap the Ripper, his uh, senior year of his like his last collection uh, out of college or for college. Oh, excuse cool. me. Um, she also helped him broker a deal with the Gucci Group to sell his Ale- uh, Alexander McQueen label to them, and she, in the end, got nothing for the help. Like she, like what? was like, oh. I helped him out with all the stuff, and all I got was a free dress. I think is her quote. Um, oh, geez. and it just started to go downhill for her. Uh, she had had financial problems already because she was disinherited by her father in 1994. But in 2004, marital problems caused a separation from her husband. He went on to have an affair with an editor at Harper's Bazaar while she wasn't working. And she was also diagnosed with bipolar disorder and apparently started undergoing electroshock therapy with claims of it helping. Oh, my. Like, she thought it was actually, yeah. So She actually thought it was working. Yeah, and that's in 2004. So she that's too recent. It's so recent. So then she ended up reconciling with her husband, but then was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Oh my 
So Ugh. she became seriously depressed and was reportedly anguished over her inability to find a home in the world she had influenced, but also from uh, uh, her cancer, from her failing celebrity status, and I'm guessing the electro shock therapy that can't that couldn't have helped. Um, she began telling friends she was suicidal and attempted suicide with sleeping pills in 2006. Uh, later that year, she attempted by jumping off a freeway overpass, the Hammersmith flyover. It's, it's a freeway overpass in London, which resulted in two broken ankles. Oh, that's all. <laughs> so in 2007, she made more attempts like driving a car into the back of a semi truck. She tried to obtain horse tranquilizers. She tried to drown herself in a lake and she tried to overdose again oh. while on the beach in India. Oh, my, my God. Goodness. So she was really wow. going through something. Yeah. And then, geez. so that was 2007, but on May 2007, so she'd done all of those things before May, she said uh, uh, she was at a party, actually, and she announced that she was going shopping, but then her sister found her in the bathroom upstairs on the floor, and she rushed her to the hospital. There, she told doctors that she had drunk weed killer Paraquat. <gasps> when her sister discovered that she had drank it, she quoted Blow at saying, I'm worried I haven't taken enough. Oh, she actually she did die the next day. And Anna Wintour spoke at her funeral, as well as Rupert Everett and Joan Collins gave eulogies. Um, a lot oh. of people actually asked Alexander McQueen about it. And uh, he was like, honestly, like people should butt out because we had our own relationship. Um, I'm not going to talk about the Gucci group. I'm not going to talk about that. Yeah. Which I respect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's their so she own was private a life. She was, I just, I had to include her. I, I have never seen a case where someone public like that has gone through so many suicidal attempts. That is so many attempts and in like the craziest of ways. My goodness. Yeah. And she was just going through so much. Like, ugh, I can't imagine. Another one that we probably know and I think a lot of people know is Kate Spade. Oh, yes. Yeah, that was so, so sad. It was really sad. It, actually, it happened in uh, 2018. She was an American fashion designer and entrepreneur. She was the founder and former co-owner of the designer brand Kate Spade New York, which was very prominent for their handbags. Uh, I think every one of my friend's moms had one of their bags. It was, oh, yes. I mean, it was so popular. Everybody um, in my hometown has a Kate Spade bag. I feel like it is like the bag of Illinois. Right. <laughs> Everyone Most. loves them. Uh, she married David Spade's brother, actually, Andy Spade. Um, but the couple had actually separated a few months before her death. Uh, her housekeeper did find her dead by hanging in her Manhattan apartment in June of 2018. She had left a note for her daughter, who would have been 13 at the time. Oh, man. And then there was a statement from her uh, husband that said, Kate suffered from depression and anxiety for many years. She was actively seeking help and working closely with doctors to treat her disease, one that it takes far too many lives. We were in touch with her the night before, and she sounded happy. There were no indications and no warning signs that she would do this. I was in complete shock, and it clearly wasn't her. There were personal demons she was battling. Yeah, she her suicide uh, happened the same week as Anthony Bourdain's. Because yeah. yes. that was when I recorded our uh, famous little depression episode. Depression, yeah. Um, that was a crazy. Because week. that was one of my my big messages with all with the, all these like very successful, famous, rich people. Yeah, wealthy. Where it's a lot like of people wealthy, assume wealth. rich, yeah. popular. You know, and it's sort of like if they can't beat it, what chance do I have right. as right. a person with anxiety and depression to like make it out? 
And so when you do, like as someone who has anxiety and depression, when you see all these extremely, because in your head as someone who's suffering from it, you're like, all I have to do is uh, get a better job. And then I have to, you know, I have to uh, get a 401k and then I won't be so anxious. And then after that, I have to do this and then I won't be so anxious. And if I do, and it's like, no, I could do all of those fucking things. I'm still going to have depression and anxiety. It's not going to change the chemicals in your brain. Yeah. So that's where it's like you guys have to understand that it is a disease and it needs treatment. It's not something where it's like just brush it off. Just try to make more money. Just try to do this. I think the biggest indication to that, though, is the fact that she had a 13-year-old daughter. I know. Yeah. Like you just you wouldn't do that if there wasn't some other you know like I I, I think yeah, that yeah, yeah, anytime somebody has a child and does it and it's like if you are willing to take your own life like you you get to that point where it doesn't even matter that you know this is going to destroy your child's life like you know something is very very off in the brain because yeah. anyone else could easily be like that is so incredibly selfish how could she do that she had a child it's like she thought she had no other choice cuz that's how her brain works like that's when you know it is a disease and it can't just be like cheer up charlie it'll be okay you can't just say that that doesn't work i will say this um an interesting fact uh her maiden name was brosnahan so she is actually the aunt of rachel brosnahan oh interesting my god i didn't know that connection at all yeah 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 i thought that was interesting which is a very fashion forward show for being a period piece it is, yeah. I have one more. I'll do one more. It's um, So it's Irene Maud Lentz, known professionally as Irene. She was an American fashion designer and costume designer. She was actually very close friends with Doris Day and worked oh. for MGM. And she worked designing gowns for the likes of Ginger Rogers, Ingrid Bergman, Jean wow. Arthur, Rita Hayworth, Marlene Whoa. Dietrich. Yeah, just to name a few. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and geez. then she was no leading bit. the costume department by 1943. Um, she was very big and known for her um, for dressing. Um, oh my gosh, can't remember who it was, but it was in the Postman Comes Twice. They okay. were like avant garde, is what they called them at the time. I looked at them; they are not avant garde. <laughs> <laughs> but avant garde actually means just fashion forward. So I guess right. they were. Yeah. But in 1962, after Doris Day noticed that Lentz seemed upset and nervous, Lentz confided in her that she was in love with actor Gary Cooper and that he was the only man she had ever loved and he had died the previous year. So on November 15th, 1962, three weeks short of her 61st birthday, Lentz took a room or took the room 1129 at the Knickerbocker Hotel in L.A., checking in under a different name. She then jumped to her death from the bathroom window. At the Knickerbocker? At the Knickerbocker. Oh, my goodness. She had left notes, suicide notes for friends and family, for her ailing husband, and for the hotel residents, apologizing for any inconvenience her death might have caused. Oh, man. That's really, that's really morbid, but also like, because that's something I've always thought of, too, where it's. Not so much in that situation, but like in the situation where people will, you know, crash their car into another car or something like that, where I get it. I'm a person who understands suicide, but at the same time, don't bring someone else into it. Right. Try to do it not around like innocent civilians. Right. I don't want to go too into detail, but I do have a friend who recently was the person who found someone who had jumped from a building. 
Oh. And the emotional um, toll. toll that it's taken on her has been very, yeah. very difficult, especially since That's it happened right traumatic. before COVID. And then she was isolated. Just oh, locked Jesus. away with those uh, feelings. Yeah. And she didn't really, like, she, she didn't really know how to talk about it, really, to anyone. I was thankful that she did eventually, but yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you oh, don't have, we don't think about those people as well. I mean, everyone's no. battling something, but like the person that finds you, that could be very impactful. Yeah. yeah. It's incredibly traumatic. That's, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. So we are out of time for this episode. I'm sorry to end on such a bummer note, but I think what we should do, because we had a game plan for the end of this we episode. Did. Let's yeah. play the game. And I will make it a YouTube video with visuals. So you guys, as a palate cleanser, head over to YouTube right now. Uh, check out the game we're about to play. To um, make you smile. To make you yeah, smile. Yeah, cleanse, cleanse that palate, y'all. <laughs> to make you smile. What is it? Oh, apple right between not wines. Even just, not even just <laughs> because of this olive. episode, like, but because of what our lives just are life. right now. Yeah. Just go exactly. cheer yourself up and laugh at our expense. game. <laughs> but yes, also, at our expense. Yes, absolutely. True. Absolutely. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I also just want to say too, this time is very difficult and suicide yes. is real. So make sure that if, if, if anything is going on with you, check online your sources. You can even reach out to keep it weird. Yes. People, we're, everyone's here for each other. We're all yeah. here for you. Yeah. We have a ton of suicide hotlines. We have a ton of websites you can visit and the national suicide prevention lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. Um, but also, yeah, I have a ton of material. So if anyone ever needs anything like that, you can message me on Facebook, Instagram, uh, at keepitweirder at gmail.com. Where else are we? Twitter. I'm online. You can, you can yes, find me. I'm you have there. someone. Oh, you really, online. really, really do have someone in your corner. Yes, always. All right, on all right, to the games. That's all the time we have this week for Keep It Weird. Make sure you head over to our YouTube channel if you want to pick me up. Hopefully the video is up and running and we didn't have any technical difficulties but uh tyler tested lauren and i on how many horrible 2000s fashion trends we wore and it was a walk down fashion nightmare lane you'll get to see some high school photos of us and of some of your favorite past guests as well so definitely check that out it's um it's a mess Make sure you're following us on social media at Keep It Weirdcast, where we keep you all informed as to what we're up to, and we have fun contests like tonight. Your costumes are due for our costume contest to win a free shirt or tank or tote. So if you want to know more about that, head over to our Instagram or Facebook group and check out the rules and get your costume in before, uh, I don't know, 9 p.m., 10 p.m., doesn't matter. We're picking a winner this weekend. If you want to buy a shirt, you can do so at www.etsy.com slash shop slash keep it weird podcast. If you want to join our Patreon and donate one, five or ten dollars a month to our show in exchange for bonus episodes, newsletters and discounts on merch, you can do that at www.patreon.com slash keep it weird podcast. Take good care of yourselves and take care of each other. Reach out to us if you ever want to talk. Join our group and talk with each other when you're feeling blue or frustrated with the world or alone. We're all there, too. But for now, we'll see you next week. Keep it weird. Girl ties?
Oh, like a tie prize. for the, a tie for like a girl. Like Avril Lauren. Levine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ties. 